Welcome back, everyone. I am Cass Piancy, and I am joined, as usual, by my partner in crime, Mr. Bennett Tomlin. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well, Cass. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Um, honestly, I've been trying to wrap my head around Tara today. Uh, we planned on doing this episode a while ago, but I'm going to come forward and say that I, I've never taken algorithmic stablecoins seriously. It's not something I ever thought would gain or garner attention. Clearly, I was wrong about that. So I'm, I'm willing to admit that much. What I'm not yet willing to concede is that I, my belief is that they always fail. That's my belief. I guess based on the fact that none of them have succeeded as of yet. But I'm sure we'll have some pushback on that comment in and of itself. Because if I recall correctly, Matt Levine did his normal newsletter and uh, the, the gentleman that you had a debate with decided to reach out to Matt Levine to tell him how wrong he was about algorithmic stablecoins. So first of all, you know, this one is about Terra. It's not about Frax. But we'll include that episode you did on Blockchain Debate Podcast in the show notes. But look, I, I went on their site and what I decided to do before we jumped on was learn as much as I could about Terra based on what their website was telling me. I didn't learn very much. But I would love to hear your explanation of how Terra works, because when they try to get into how it works, they make it so simple that it's incredibly vague. Yeah. Algorithmic stablecoins in general are all a well-coordinated game in trying to convince a sufficient mass of people that a thing that has no reason to be valuable is definitely valuable, right? And so... Terra is effectively collateralized by the governance token uh, Luna. So the way this works is through the protocol, you can exchange about a dollar's worth of Luna for a dollar's worth of Terra USD, which I'll probably just call Terra for the rest of this episode, or vice versa. You can exchange one Terra for about a dollar's worth of Luna. And this is the main thing that is meant to keep Terra at peg. The fact that you can get Luna for it. And that's that's the whole thing, is that if we all assume Luna is valuable, then we can use it as collateral to make this thing that kind of looks like a currency. And as long as Luna's valuable, and as long as enough people think the currency-like thing is valuable, then it continues working. The issue becomes if people stop believing either of those things. So they're just doing fiat. Yeah, no, 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 they, they really are. And like algorithmic stablecoins are one of the purest examples of that, I think. And, and like this is the difficulty with Terra is a lot of the things Terraform Labs are doing are unsustainable. So let's start with the anchor lending market. Terraform Labs, the company behind Terra, supports this, provides funds for their yield reserve so that they can pay out a higher interest rate to lenders than the market actually wants to give them. And so by paying out this 20% guaranteed interest rate, they hope to help drive demand for UST. And in driving demand for UST, they hope it continues to grow to such a point that it hits some kind of inflection point or tipping point where there's such a belief in it and such an exogenous demand for it that you no longer need to do the unsustainable things. And like Terraform Labs and Lunatics and all the people behind Terra will admit that many of these things are unsustainable, right? Like continuing to subsidize everyone who wants to lend this token cannot go on forever. But the counter argument they try to present is that maybe we can do this for long enough that enough people will think this is valuable that eventually we will be able to stop. It's, 
I'm not sure. I don't think people want to hear me be super cynical and um, almost pissed off. But if this is like an accurate representation of what's going on, I'm just confused. I'm confused because so many people seem to believe that there is real value here and that they're doing something totally different and new and innovative. Like, even as I watched their own explanation of this, I, like... They're doing weird stuff that I don't need. Like, why are they pegging the special drawing rights of the IMF? They're not. What, like, oh, no, no, no. What? No. See, <laughs> you're talking about Terra SDT, which is meant to peg to SDR, IMF's measure of, like, this commodity group of baskets. And it makes sense you think that, because they talk about it, like, all the time in the white paper. And Daquan wrote a whole paper about how this multi-stablecoin system depends on that specific thing in order to provide liquidity across these and provide a unit of account that's global and all this. But they don't use it anymore. I mean, it's nominally used in a couple places in the code to deal with the math, but like the total circulating supply of that specific token is in like the dozens, like not even the thousands, like the dozens, because it's not actually how the system works. And almost the entire system is in Terra USD. It's in regular Terra with some of it in um, Terra Won uh, for the Korean market. And like, what about that Mongolian one? Sure, th sure, there might be some of that in it too, but like the Terra SDT was almost never used. And the other reason they don't like to talk about Terra SDT is because early on they minted a ton of them, like pre-minted them, like made a bunch of stable coins out of nothing and then used this to feed into the protocol to help provide liquidity for every other stable coin. And so they had effectively pre-mined a bunch of a stable coin and were using it to create a bunch of other stable coins. And then eventually people in the forum started complaining about this. So in the Columbus 5 upgrade, they finally burned all those. But yeah, for a long time, they had this Terra SDR, which was the flagship currency for this system, which is now basically never used. That they minted a bunch out of thin air and used to provide liquidity for the rest of their pairs. And so even when you read the documentation and you go through the website and you try to understand how the system works, there's no guarantee that those are accurate reflections of the current reality. Help, <laughs> help me help. I, I know this seems so basic and I'm not well enough informed on Terra and Luna and all of this stuff. But why do so many people believe in this? Like, why do so many people think this is innovative and interesting and helping and benefiting the cryptocurrency industry? I think there's a few reasons for that. First, let's start with Anchor, the lending market I already mentioned with a guaranteed 20% yield on a stablecoin. You can convert any of your other stablecoins to Terra pretty easily and then lend it out and get this 20% yield being subsidized by this other group. So even if you don't believe in the long-term longevity of this system or that this can go on forever, whatever other things Terraform Labs is telling you, if you're a trader or something, it still might make sense to use it for now so that you can basically take the money out of Terraform Labs' pocket and put it into your own because they're subsidizing it, right? Besides that, if you go back to the original ICO of Luna, the initial 1 billion of the supply, 30% of that went to the founders and then 26% went to venture capitalists at rates of either 18 cents or 80 cents, according to Masari. The price of Luna peaked at over 100 at one point. So VCs who got into this early had like a 100x or 500x return already on their investments. And so for them, they've made this massive amount, but they can't exit 26% of the supply at that price without getting enough other people interested in the system, right? Without increasing the overall liquidity of the system. Besides that, 
the subsidized anchor rate isn't just benefiting people who use it directly. But if you remember, like uh, we discussed this a little bit in our Wonderland episode, Abracadabra's Degen box that was done by like Danny and Sifu would go through the anchor lending market 10 times, rehypothecating each time. So you're using like 10x leverage on this 20% guaranteed yield. So then all the crypto degens see this super easy way to get this absolutely absurd yield on what's effectively supposed to be a stable coin that should never change in value. Now, beyond that, we get into the current phase of how Daquan is convincing everyone to love him, and that is he's literally like buying off communities. He announced first with the Luna Foundation Guard that they were going to purchase $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. This fundamentally changes the math around the stability for Luna and Terra and makes the built-in reflexivity that's supposed to protect the peg materially worse. Because now instead of going into Luna when people go to arbitrage, they're likely going into BTC as these firms do open market operations to try to defend the peg. But, but... It's still worthwhile for them because now Bitcoiners can't criticize Daquan and Terra because he owns, he, or he will own, 10 billion Bitcoins. And then he goes on and he's like, you know what, we should do the same thing with Avalanche. $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. I just want to say that so that people don't say, there's only 21 yeah, million yeah. Bitcoin. $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. And now they're doing the same thing with Avalanche, right? Luna Foundation Guard announced the next asset they're going to acquire is Avalanche. So now if you're a red triangle supporting Avalanche, do you really want to go out and criticize Doquan and Terra when they're purchasing and providing this like buying pressure for your token? And so people love Terra because they're either making money on it directly using the lending market, making money on it indirectly by using other DeFi products like Abracadabra Box that depend on that subsidized yield, or because Doquan is going out and trying to like buy off their communities. I think what I'm so frustrated about, again, if this description is entirely accurate, which obviously you're my co-host and I trust you and I believe you, um, I think I'm, I'm getting frustrated because... There is nothing innovative about everyone going, I'll be able to get out of the Ponzi before the next guy. That's the oldest scam in finance. It's the oldest scam in finance. It's so boring. And it's not just boring. It's infuriating. Because I understand that people will never learn that lesson. I get it. We're, it's like a human psychological trait to be like, I'm smarter than everybody else. Uh, I get it. I'm not. Everybody's guilty of that at some point, And that's fine. But I still don't understand why there's so much. This is such innovation. Doquan is such a genius. Everybody pay attention to this. And I'm like, I still don't get it. I still don't understand why. Why should I be paying attention to this? Because of 20% yields? Because it's now, I guess it's how big? How many billions of dollars? Uh, 18 billion, I think. <sighs> 18 billion. Okay. Yeah, just about 18 billion, which, which also, also pausing for a moment, that's the other crazy thing. They're buying $10 billion worth of Bitcoin to collateralize effectively 18 billion in this floating stablecoin that is supposed to be entirely collateralized by their governance token. There's so much money floating around here, like numbers that like barely make sense when you think about them. And it's, that's a lot of money, $10 billion. That's a lot. That's half the fucking market cap of the stablecoin. So he's already been subpoenaed by the SEC. Yes, though he claims it doesn't count, <laughs> which we talked about a little bit in our episode with John Reed Stark. Yeah, right. He can claim whatever he wants. That's fine. But they have subpoenaed him, right? Yes. Okay. And their their claims are what? 
I think it's mostly related to the Mir protocol, which was built on top of the Terra chain and was meant to provide a way to trade synthetic assets. And so they were creating um, synthetic derivatives of U.S. securities and trading them through their market. So you could buy like a token pegged to Tesla. And the SEC says- Is that still happening? I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to double check that. But yeah, the SEC said, yeah, we don't, we don't like that. That goes against our rules because- Clearly it does. I, I understand neither of us are lawyers, and I'll preface that before I, I ask this question at all. But I guess I'm just wondering, is there anything even illegal about what's going on with Luna and Terra? Or is this just kind of like an unworkable business model? And when it fails, well, hate to say I told you so kind of situation. I mean, I that's, don't know. That, that, that's always the question, right? And, and this, is, um, this is really one of my challenges with this protocol. So they did an ICO in February of 2019, right? That is well after the Dow report. That is after several of Jay Clayton's speeches, in which he said, every ICO I've seen is a security sale. If they sold any tokens in that ICO, I think there's a good chance they sold unregistered securities to U.S. persons, and that would be illegal. The SEC is still trying to determine if what they did with Mir is legal or not. I think there is plenty of reason to be skeptical that it was. And then it gets kind of tricky, because... What's the difference between a coin trying to become the new global unit of account by creating faith using an unsustainable strategy and a Ponzi scheme? The difference is pretty narrow and often will be determined on how it plays out, right? Like if Terra was somehow successful in convincing enough people that this is what they should be using and there was enough exogenous demand and liquidity, maybe they could turn off some of the unsustainable things and it would continue to work. I have my skepticism about pegged assets in general. We talked about that a little bit when Francis Coppola was on, but it's not clearly fraud. It's not clearly illegal. It's pretty clearly ill-conceived. Right. I think that's what I'm trying to express is my frustration is that this is so obviously similar to past schemes. I, I guess what I'm, I'm perceiving is that it's called an algorithmic stablecoin, and that's like a pretty hot, hip happening idea right now. I don't get that either. I don't understand the obsession with like algorithmically trying to stabilize an asset class. Like I don't I don't get it. So that's that's because you're trying to think through it as a way to like legitimately create a stable unit of account. But that's not really why algorithmic stablecoins exist, right? Like there's a reason they pop up every time there's a big DeFi surge. And because they depend on this alchemy of essentially creating something from nothing, it is very easy to play games with them, right? Set up a lending game, set up a whatever game that could run for long enough that a lot of people make money from it. And it doesn't matter if it eventually fails because we, we told everyone this was an experiment. We weren't sure this was going to work. We're out here trying new things. We're builders. Don't just stand on the sidelines and criticize. Get out there and help build. That's another one that came up recently is Andre wrote, what was it, a Substack uh, post? It was Substack or Medium. It was a blog. It was blogging. Pretty short one. Just kind of saying like, we're redoing finance, <laughs> which is something you and I have said very often. And his, his critique seemed to be that they're just repeating all the same mistakes of the past and doing it very quickly. Like we've said, it's kind of like speed running the past thousand years of finance. But people got pretty upset about it, I guess, or at least some people did. Some people were like very into it, but some people were upset about it because they were like, oh, Mr. Testin Production, who's like essentially put out a bunch of garbage 
Although, I mean, isn't isn't Yearn doing fine? Why Yearn? I don't know what they call it. Whatever. I mean, I think it's still running. Um, other past Andre projects are no longer running. And, and I think that's, I read the piece in question, and I think that Andre has some really good points. He talks at one point about how the crypto culture, essentially the degeneracy, the aping into these things, the uh, number go up type community around it has kind of smothered the crypto ethos of like censorship resistance, mutability, resiliency, and trying to build these like powerful anti-state systems and i think that he's right like i mean obviously though i don't like that's not even that's not a, yeah that's i guess i'm like that's not that clever a, of an aside like yeah all of us know all of us know that already it's fucking obvious it's been obvious since 2018 yeah i, I think the issue is he's the worst messenger for that message right because the entire time you're reading it you're just like god you're such a fucking hypocrite Oh, yeah, we need regulated entities, Mr. Phantom Wallet. Okay, yeah, sure, we hear you. And it's like, it's not that he's wrong. And I don't even necessarily think a lot of the people criticizing him are necessarily saying he's wrong. It's he's made a lot of money from this, like eight, nine figure type money. And now he's like, we need regulators to protect the investors. My dude, you're the one with the money from all the investors. And so it, it's really disingenuous that way. It was kind of my feeling reading it. I'm kind of stupefied by all of this. Like, I'm kind of like, I, I don't really know how to react to any of this, where I don't I don't see the utility in Terra, even though that's like what it talks about on, when you go to the website, I mean, they talk about how easy and, and simple this is going to be and how great it's going to be for everyone to be able to like move in and out of every currency in the world with such ease. I guess that's like really hard to do without Terra. Not that I've ever traveled outside of America and had to exchange. You know what? Honestly, I'll tell you something. One of the brokerages that I've used, I had a savings account with them as well. And all f ATM fees were paid for. And if I took money out from an international ATM, whatever international fees were also totally paid for. So I guess I don't get it. <laughs> I guess at the end of the day, I just don't get it. It's genuinely not that hard to move money around. We don't need 200 different stable coins. We certainly don't need 200 different algorithmic stable coins. And we certainly don't need the algorithmic stable coins to like grow bigger than like $18 billion is so much money, man. And like, the idea that it's essentially catching up to Tether, which is like, Tether's already bad. Why are we making things even murkier, more complex and worse, which I didn't even think was possible? Like, Tether is as opaque as it gets about their reserves. So you thought. Yeah, never say never, man. So Do Kwon appears in 2019 after going to Stanford, forms Terraform Labs, is injected with like billions of dollars from investors, I don't, I don't get it. I want to get it. I want to understand it. I want to think that there's something here. I don't want to be this cynical asshole who's saying like, dude, this seems like a scam again. But why does it feel that way? Because there's a guaranteed 20% interest rate. Because there's a guaranteed 20% interest rate. Because you hear people telling you that they can guarantee a 20% interest rate. That's why it feels like a scam. Yeah. Because if I told you tomorrow, invest today, and I can guarantee you a 20% return, you would go, fuck off. I'm not signing up for your Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Because that's that's the pitch of a fucking Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff did what? Like 12% per annum over the years? 
and 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 Doquan's guaranteeing twenty percent, and we're just supposed to go. Ah, the future of decentralized finance, delicious. But this isn't even the worst. This isn't that we've seen hundred fifty percent guarantees. We've seen crazy. And now we've got Justin creating his own algorithmic stablecoin, promising to back it with ten billion dollars worth of crypto assets he's oh, going to go and buy, geez. and guaranteeing a thirty percent interest rate. He decided, let's go fifty percent above twenty and see what we can do. And his logic is, we see so many people using Tether on Tron that we figured they need their own stablecoin collateralized by Tron. You know, what I am really happy for Justin about, I am glad he is getting use out of that ambassador appointment because without that shit, he would go absolutely to prison. So bravo, Justin. What is it? His excellency. I'm so glad that you are making proper use of that ambassadorship. You know, enjoy your little prison in switzerland where you can't leave now do you want to know the worst part sure it's broken at a more basic level than we've even discussed here right like we're discussing how the economics make no sense but like the actual protocol design for the cryptocurrency makes no sense and doquan and terraform labs can effectively kick other nodes out of consensus for like the blockchain itself so in order to be a validator on terra like on the Cosmos chain that's actually running all this, you are expected to participate in the Oracle voting process. To help make this easy, Terraform Labs has provided their own Oracle price feeder that you can configure in your validator that will automatically post the numbers Terraform Labs gives you to the chain and vote on them for you, making the entire process vastly more simple. So, the vast majority of Oracles have adopted this. What this effectively means is that no one else can run a different price feeder now because if they vote out of band, like different from what Terraform Labs Oracle price feeder is suggesting, they will get kicked out of consensus even if their number is right and Terraform Labs number is wrong. And this exact thing has already resulted in erroneous liquidations on Anchor the lending platform. And wait, I'm not done yet. Almost all of those liquidations were bought up by Terraform Labs who was front running it because they didn't need to wait for the Oracle price to hit the chain because it's coming from their own feed. So they knew to immediately start bidding as these were liquidated before the values were actually posted on chain. It's when there was this massive multi-million dollar liquidation. Terraform Labs is the one buying up all those collateral from the people they wrongly liquidated. It's fucking Arthur Hayes running a prop desk. Right, so it's centralized. It's trading against its own users. Who knows? what the privacy dynamics are of any of this and the innovation is 20 percent per annum interest forgive me more bad things they were doing sorry go on like a year ago they announced project dawn in which they were going to start unlocking about 300 million dollars worth of luna every single month and promised a monthly transparency report around each of these unlocks that would describe what they were using the funds for guess what there was zero of those yeah It's amazing you knew there wouldn't be transparency reports. It's like you've done this before. This is one of these times where I genuinely feel completely deflated about the industry. There's things that bother me that excite me, right? Like I think Tether did that for me, where it was like actually exciting and interesting while I was bothered by it, while it pissed me off. I think what's going on in El Salvador is equal parts fascinating and horrifying. Um, I think... The Ukraine and Russian response in regard to the cryptocurrency industry. Totally interesting. Like there's there's a lot to un- unravel and unfold and talk about there. When this kind of thing happens, I, I feel bad because I understand that it's going to sound like a broken record, but I, I just feel so bad. I feel like 
there's nothing anyone can do for this industry if this is the kind of people and projects that everyone wants to support. I mean, like, I don't think anyone has explained how the fuck the North Koreans stole $600 million worth of Axie Infinity bullshit, you know, their Ethereum. Like, the... I, I mean, they kind of did because it was all controlled by one entity, right? And so all they had to do was compromise one entity and steal the keys. Well, there you fucking go. I, this is what I'm saying, dude. This is what I'm trying to say is that, like, the basic inherent issues that we're trying to be solved for at the beginning of cryptocurrency through to like 2016, 2017, that people like seem to care about was like, okay, it shouldn't be centralized. We should be concerned about privacy. There's going to be volatility. We're going to need to speculate. Like it was like some level of admittance and suggestions as to what was positive about this space. And when I see stuff like this get popular, I, I feel like, oh, wow. Most people involved in this space don't actually give a fuck about any of the interesting stuff. Like, this stablecoin isn't interesting. It's not interesting. And this story isn't in interesting to me. You're just telling me a bunch of bad shit that some asshole did that is going to cost people a lot of money one day and that maybe he'll never go to prison for and, you know, it was an experiment. Okay, I guess this just proves how dumb people are or that we're repetitive in our habits or that psychologically we're just prone to get scammed. I don't know, man, but it doesn't fill me with any sort of hope or interest or like drive to fix things. It has the utterly opposite effect. Crypto culture has strangled crypto ethos, Sandre said. Yeah, but he he talked about it like it was some optimistic thing by the end. He was saying like, I'm, look, I'm still looking forward to what this industry brings and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, when I hear these stories, if anything, it makes me go like, man, maybe this is the wrong industry for me. I'm like, I'll stick around. There's enough interesting stories for sure. But, like, when I hear these stories, I am far less inclined. Like, there's no way I'm going to ever talk about Terra again. There's no way. I just don't care. I just do not care. Yeah. It was fascinating to me because I, I write about these stablecoin protocols pretty often, right? But, like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, this is just BitUSD. Dan Larimer tried this years ago. And that's fucking Dan Larimer. Like, <laughs> why are we retreading the ground that Dan Larimer... <laughs> Already did. Right. There has to be more right. exciting things to try. Apparently not. Yeah. And, and apparently and, not. That's my point. That's the point that I'm making, I think, right now is that like this is who people are pointing to. This is the project that people are pointing to and saying like this is changing everything. We're going to publish this. And the lunatics, the Terra community are bad. They're really fucking bad on Twitter. But they are. Every community is. XRP is fucking atrocious and poisonous, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 but uh, fucking, they're, they're like the old XRP army before they The all... Safe Moon people were fucking horrifying. Everybody who has their community is strictly bags. I, that's when we were talking to Colin. I'm just like, dude, building a community around, like, we need the number of this thing to go up. It doesn't breed a healthy community at all. At all. It just makes a bunch of assholes who spend a bunch of time online attacking anybody who's being critical or, like, genuinely trying to look into something for people. And, again... Where's the innovation? Where is the substance to any of this? I was hoping that when we talked about this, there would be some fucking saving grace, something that you could point to that would be like, well, actually, here's the interesting part of Terra, or actually, here's the interesting part of Luna, or they're doing this really interesting algorithm, like, whatever. But no, you're just like, well, they're hoping to get too big to fail, and, you know, probably not going to happen, but I guess it might, maybe, who knows? And I'm like, this story sucks. This story fucking sucks. Yeah, the best case for them is that they become the global 
like way to exchange value and you and I end up in an institution due to the ramifications of that. Yeah, I get it. They all want to be the fucking world's reserve currency. There's still nothing interesting about that. Fuck, man. This is what I'm saying. Decentralization is interesting. Privacy rights when it comes to money. That interests me. That stuff is actually fucking interesting. This stuff is not fucking interesting, dude. It is not. And, Fuck. Well, and, and this really gets at kind of the part that really bothers me about Terra is how often that their marketing is we're the true decentralized stablecoin. Don't look at Maker what? because it's got USDC backing. Don't look at whatever because of these somewhat probable like points of articulation and points of centralization. And then they take 56% of their original supply and distribute it between themselves and venture capitalists. They have a way to kick nodes out of consensus. They are subsidizing the entire demand for this token out of their ICO funds. This, this is the gold standard for decentralized stablecoin? Then fucking hand it in. Stop trying to make fucking stablecoins then. You've lost. If this is the best you can do, you failed. You failed. This is the last point I want to make because I, there do seem to be all these people like who are into Do Kwan or who think Sesta was a genius or think Sifu is great. I remember reaching out to someone well-known in this space. I'm not going to name names. And saying, I don't get why anyone likes Max Kaiser or Michael Saylor or um, whatever. Max Kaiser, Michael Saylor, somebody else. It might have been Do Kwan. It might have been some, some, someone else. And I just said, like, I don't get why the space takes any of these people seriously in any sense. And their response to me was, they don't, dude. Nobody of substance or anyone who actually cares about the cryptocurrency industry takes those two lunatics I mean, in the actual word, takes them seriously. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's a disconnect and like some retail people just are super into some of this stuff or if there's too much VC capital and hedge funds. And that's, again, just the stuff that makes me feel so sick about this industry because there's nothing you and I can do about it. Truly, there's nothing we can say critically about Terra that's going to matter because this is this is their this is their game plan, right? And like, I know that this that we're not going to change anyone's mind with this episode. So I like, I just I don't know. I don't know what I don't know how to respond to that as a critic. I guess at the end of all this, I think we got kind of close to talking about this a little bit when Gerard was on. But the cryptocurrency industry is almost like several different layers of industry, each moving in somewhat different directions and pulled by different forces, right? Like there's so much turnover in the cryptocurrency industry that at any time, like the bulk of market participants is people who have joined in like the last two years. But then like the bulk of market dollars are dictated by these massive market making and venture capital funds like we talked about back in our Cumberland episode. And then like the bulk of development work and like research and thought that goes into these cryptocurrency systems is by people who have been around for years, right? And so like you'll talk with Bitcoin developers and they still care about a lot of the things Bitcoin is supposed to care about, right? But they're a very tiny percentage of both the market in terms of people and the market in terms of dollars. The venture capitalists want things that they can grow fast and get liquidity from and retail wants projects that they can make a quick buck on. And so the minority of people who are interested in cryptocurrency purely to solve the challenging questions around decentralization, censorship resistance, privacy, and resiliency are not that important because they don't command the massive money that can move things and they don't command the massive armies of people that drive interest in these things. And so they continue to get pressed further and further to the sidelines. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point to end on. Or a really bad point, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Either way. <laughs>